following message was given at Emanuel Baptist Church, Coconut Creek, Florida. Good morning, everyone. Uh, good to see you today. Uh, welcome to our adult Sunday school class. Um, let me uh, begin our day by uh, seeking the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Father, as we stand now at the threshold of another Lord's Day. We, we come before you. We ask, Lord, that you would help us as we seek to draw near to you on this day. We thank you for your faithfulness to us throughout the week, preserving us and keeping us so that we find ourselves once again here with your people. And we do come today with a great sense of anticipation as we look ahead to all of the activities of the day, uh, the opportunity to engage in the means of grace, the worship of your name, and even now as we come to our adult Sunday school class. And we ask that you would help us today to lay aside the things that would seek to hinder us, Lord, our, uh, the distractions of uh, the pressures and responsibilities of life in this world that we would entrust those things to your hand today that we might give our full attention to the worship of your name and the study of your word, the fellowship of the saints. We ask, Father, that you would bless our teachers today as they teach and our young people and children. We continue to lift up their precious souls to you and pray that you would have mercy upon them and satisfy them with your mercies and draw them to your Son. Grant that our time together this morning in the adult class would be profitable, edifying, encouraging, and it would help us, Lord, in our faith and our walk with Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Pastor Deacon, I'm going to trust you again to kind of let them know back there if the mic is too loud. All right. Um, I'm going to do something a little bit different today um, in the adult Sunday school class. Um, I was, um, uh, next week, uh, next weekend, I'm going to be preaching down in Hialeah, Florida, at a um, Spanish-speaking church where William Gutierrez and his family are, and uh, the church, God's really blessing the church there, it's been really growing, and they invited me some time ago to come, they wanted me to do a conference on a particular topic that uh, they had heard a couple of sermons I had done on that topic at a pastor's conference. So this weekend I'll be going down there and I'll be preaching twice on Friday evening and then twice on Saturday evening. And then uh, one of the wonderful things about being there is uh, William's going to be ordained as a pastor there. And so I'll be preaching his ordination service on Sunday morning. So I'm excited about that. But something else that they <coughs> asked me to do uh, during the adult Sunday school time <clears throat> is to share my testimony uh, with them of my own conversion, a little bit about how I came to know the Lord. And I was thinking about this this morning and, um, you know, I've been here now 14 years and I've never done that uh, except for um, here. I've never done that except for before I was actually called here when I came to visit with my family and the church was checking me out and I was checking them out and trying to decide if this is going to be a match or not, 
uh, in that uh, context, I shared my testimony with the church, but there's a whole lot of people here <laughs> that weren't there then. <clears throat> so I thought, why not do that here uh, as I'm thinking ahead to doing that next week. And uh, so that's what I'm going to do uh, during our adult Sunday school class. And I'll share a little bit about how I came to know the Lord and maybe a little bit of my background. Some of you know, some of you know it, a little bit about that, but uh, many of you don't. And then uh, also maybe we'll have time for interaction or questions afterwards, Okay. Uh, I'm not going to start out as you would in a place where nobody knows you and say, hi, my name is Jeff Smith. (laughs) You guys all know who I am, and I don't think I have to tell you how old I am. You probably all know. I think everybody's been talking about it. Uh, I don't know how many people have come up to me and made comments about the fact that I'm now uh, the big 6-0, turned 60 just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, But I want to just tell you a little bit about my background, uh, not because there's anything, you know, unusually special about it or anything like that, but just to help some of you get to know me a little bit better. Some, I get to have these private conversations sometimes and share these things, but this will kind of help to understand how I came to know the Lord. Um, m- many of you know I was born and raised in western North Carolina. Uh, in the mountains of western North Carolina. Uh, We lived near a town called Brevard, which is south of Asheville, uh, west of Hendersonville. And uh, we actually lived about 12 miles from that town in a community called Cedar Mountain, but that's where I went to high school and elementary school. I had to catch a bus to school. And so that's where I grew up. And uh, one of the wonderful things about my childhood and the days uh, living at home with my parents was that I, I did grow up in a family where I was taught a lot about the Bible and about the Lord Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home. I remember uh, when I was real little, like one to five, somewhere in there, we didn't go to church. And uh, there was a pastor, an old country pastor in a church there up in the mountains that used to come and visit us. And he would knock on the door and he would sit down. He was always trying to encourage my parents to go to church. At that time, my dad was really not Christian. He wasn't living for the Lord. And um, eventually, we did start going to church. Um, and when I was about five years old, my, uh, I believe that's when my dad got converted uh, in the little church that we attended. And um, it was a little white church on the end of a road, way out in the middle of nowhere. <clears throat> kind of a picturesque little white church. You, uh, with an old graveyard. The church was started in 1836, I believe. It was the second oldest church in the county. And uh, so uh, that's where we started going to church. And um, my dad eventually uh, became a deacon in the church. And he, I think he eventually became the chairman of the deacons in the church. And then he taught the adult Sunday school class in the church for uh, about 10 years. And... Um, so I grew up in a, a family where um, the Bible was reverenced as the Word of God, and my parents seriously attempted to live out a Christian life before us. We were always very faithful to the church. We never missed a service. I mean, we did when we were sick or something like that, but in, in my family, I think I've said this before maybe from the pulpit, you never, you never went to dad or mom and said, are we going to church today? 
Are we going to church tonight? Are we going to prayer meeting? You didn't ask those questions because we, that, was, that was a settled issue in our home. We were there on Sunday morning for Sunday school, for morning worship, for evening worship, and for prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And that was just, that was not for, up for debate <laughs> or question. That was just part of our, our regular routine of life. And um, I didn't, my dad eventually became a pastor. And I didn't grow up in a pastor's home. Uh, he became a pastor later after I had moved out <clears throat> um, and gone to college. And he pastored the same church for over 20 years. And uh, it was a little mountain church. They had never had a full-time pastor. All their pa- it was another really old church up in the mountains. And the, the, all of their pastors throughout the existence of the church have been bivocational pastors. But when he started pastoring there, the church really grew. It grew up to about 200, 250 people. And he became the first full-time pastor there. Before that, he was working for DuPont. Um, there's a, there used to be a DuPont manufacturing plant in Cedar Mountain. My dad started working there when he was 17 or I think he was 18, 18 years old. And he eventually worked his way up into management and did very well there. And, um, but we also, when I was a uh, very little boy, we, my dad bought a farm, about 100 acres, that, in Cedar Mountain. And in addition to working at DuPont, we also had a Christmas tree farm. And we had about 6,000 Christmas trees. And uh, we, used to, we used to truck them out to places. You know, we would dig the trees and the roots and put the burlap and send them out in trucks. But eventually we stopped doing that. My dad just started selling them out, out of the field. And people would come and buy them and we would cut them. And we had people from all over. I mean, we had people from Florida that would drive all the way up to my dad's farm to buy Christmas trees. It was like a kind of a family tradition and they would come up and buy their trees from my dad so we grew Christmas trees my dad also raised cattle we had about usually we would have 10 or 12 head of cattle on our farm and he raised them for different people uh, for beef and then he would buy more and fatten those up and sell them uh man we did he did my dad was one of these and still is he's one of these guys who's a jack of all trades he knows how to do everything he has every tool and every uh, thing you can imagine and uh, so he we raised hogs for a while we always had chickens we grew a garden and um, um, for a while my dad also just kind of on the side he worked for a log home dealership building log homes he would build a couple of those a year and uh, so he was into all kinds of stuff he was kind of a entrepreneur I guess you could say uh, but once he started pastoring some of that kind of slowed down but he was, bi- he was bivocational for a while, and then um, eventually DuPont, you know, things were getting to slow down there, and they offered a voluntary termination incentive where you could get paid so much for every year that you'd work there, and he took that and took an early retirement from DuPont and became a full-time pastor, and uh, I think that happened when I was in seminary, I think, when he did that. So... Um, He continued after that to operate the Christmas tree business um, on the side, not as uh, probably as involved as it had been, but continued to do that. So Christmas was always a busy time. You know, it was, it was kind of fun because 
my sisters would make wreaths. They would be out in the field making Christmas wreaths, and people would come and buy those, and people were coming at our, to our house, all the, to our farm all the time, and meeting people and talking to them and going out into the field and cutting their trees for them and so forth. So now my mom, uh, she has always been a housewife. Um, she never had a job outside of the home at all. Uh, from the time that my parents were married, she was a stay-at-home mom, and even after the kids have left, she's, she's not had any job outside of the home. But she worked very hard. You know, you, know you, you, you hear people say, oh, well, you're just a housewife. Well, those of you who have done that know that a housewife is a little bit of everything. <laughs> you know, a chauffeur, a cook, a cleaner, a homework helper and everything else in between and so she was been I was had a I've had a very been blessed with uh, a very good mom and parents who loved us and and took us to church and taught us the things of the Lord now there were deficiencies in the church that I grew up in it was really an Armenian church it was dispensational but uh, it it wasn't sophisticated really <laughs> theologically I would say and uh, the best thing about the church is that there was a strong commitment to the inerrancy of Scripture and uh, the preaching of God's Word. And we had a, a, a pastor for a number of years. When I was about 12, we got a new pastor. And he had, the, the church was an independent Baptist church, if you know what that is. We weren't part of the Southern Baptist Convention. They had pulled out of the Southern Baptist Convention years before because of liberalism and so forth at the time. So, but we got another pastor he had been a pastor in a Southern Baptist church, but uh, he came to be, to be our pastor. And this particular man was uh, an expository preacher. That was the first time I was ever really exposed to that. That he, took, he, he opened up the scriptures in detail, and he even would take books of the Bible and preach through them. I remember when I was little, him preaching all the way through the book of Deuteronomy and, and other books of the Bible. And I remember just even as a kid being fascinated. How did he get all of that out of one verse, you know? And, <clears throat> but... Um, he was a very good, good preacher. So I got to hear some good preaching uh, as a kid. Uh, but, you know, again, there were deficiencies. Very decisionistic approach to conversion. You know, basically people would come down, say a prayer, and then they're converted and brought into the membership of the church. Um, that was the context that I grew up in. I, of course, I lived in, I was surrounded by thousands of acres of forests and uh, mountains and creeks and rivers. So I grew up loving the outdoors, uh, hunting, fishing, camping, things like that. Uh, also, again, I grew up with a general reverence for the Bible and the church that, that I, I trust laid the foundation uh, for my eventual conversion. Uh, during my childhood, there were, there were various periods, I, I would say, when I I experienced a kind of a kind of an awakening to spiritual things with more in the area of just being afraid of going to hell and uh, I can remember being so fearful of that at times that I had difficulty sleeping at night and uh, thinking about it and at times getting up and asking my dad questions and things like that but to make a, a kind of a long story shorter Two times during my childhood years, I actually made a profession of faith, and I was baptized. So I was baptized twice during those years. I got baptized when I was six years old, and then 
when I was 12, we had this flaming evangelist guy come into the church, making everybody doubt their salvation, and uh, in some cases, rightly so, in my case, rightly so, and uh, just out of a fear, you know, I, I did it again, you know, I said the prayer again, and I got baptized again, and so, you know, kind of like naming, I thought maybe after seven times it would actually work, but... Um, <laughs> So um, that was at the age of 12, and um, I do believe that, that God was working in my life in those early days, that he was using these things to, to sensitize my conscience and to prepare me uh, for what would eventually be, lead to my conversion, but, I, but, I, but I'm convinced I wasn't really converted. I wasn't truly converted. Uh, I later... Uh, came to see that just having fears of hell from time to time and repeating a, a prayer that some well-meaning person puts into your mouth are not necessarily the same thing or uh, certain evidences of a, a living and true faith in Christ and in the gospel properly understood and resting in Christ alone and repentance uh, resulting from a new nature. And the years that followed really showed that my heart was still unregenerate However, all of those earlier experiences and my Christian upbringing, I believe did, it did have a very powerful restraining influence in my life. It kept me from just going headlong into sin as I got older because of there was a sensitivity of conscience and a fear of God, uh, kind of a fear of God that was there. And I was always very active in church. We always went to church. In fact, you guys are probably going to think this is funny, but when I was a teenager, I actually led the, the singing in our church. I was the singing director. I didn't know what I was doing. I just sang. I could sing loud, and uh, that was good enough. And uh, so, um, so I was very, very involved. That kept me back from a lot of outward sin that I otherwise might have become involved in, kept my conscience to at least some degree sensitive. And in many ways, I was a very religious person, a very religious child and teenager, though I was not uh, converted uh, so much so was this the case that uh, when it came close to time for me to graduate from high school, one of the things we used to do in our church, we would have a youth Sunday. And on the youth Sunday, the youth would, would do everything that day. They would lead the worship, uh, teach the class, uh, and one of the young people would preach. It was, a, it was a way to try to encourage the young people to be involved in service and so forth. So the youth Sunday came, came along, and, and lo and behold, the pastor asked me if I would do the sermon that Sunday. And um, so um, I don't know what in the world I said. I think I actually still have the piece of paper with some notes on it for whatever it was I said that Sunday. Uh, but I, I, then I started getting it into my mind, maybe I, need to be a, maybe I should be a pastor. And he started encouraging me to consider going into the ministry and uh, so eventually I did. I, I decided that's what I would do. So <clears throat> and I decided that I was going to go to North Carolina State and uh, major in agriculture. And uh, I was, I was uh, kind of deciding between agriculture and wildlife biology. And my goal was to come back to our farm to expand our Christmas tree business and also to uh, start a fish hatchery there. We had a river that ran through our property that was full of trout, the perfect place to have a fish hatchery. And so and I wanted to get my education degree too, so uh, the education part of it so that I could teach 
uh, agriculture in a, in, a in a school. So anyway, that was my plan. But I changed my mind in uh, the last semester of high school, decided to go to uh, Baptist College, and I attended, um, um, where did I go to school? Gardner-Webb College. And maybe you've heard of Gardner-Webb University. Now it's a little bigger. But, and I majored in religion while I was there. And even in those, those years while I was in college, I, I uh, had a lot of friends. I was popular, I guess you could say. I played baseball there, and I became uh, even something of a leader uh, among the Christians on campus. Uh, and I was the president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I elected to, to that uh, my junior and senior years in college. So outwardly, publicly, I really would you know, appeared to be a fine, upstanding Christian young man, but the fact is I was really a big hypocrite. And even worse than that, for a time, I was, I was, well, I was a self-righteous Pharisee in one, one sense, one side of it, another side of it. I was just what you might call a, a typical, unconverted, Southern Baptist young person who living for the world and for the pleasures of the world and enslaved to various wickedness and sin in my life. And uh, you... What is even worse than that, I was what you might call an unconscious hypocrite. And what do I mean by an unconscious hypocrite? Well, though I was living in bondage uh, to the practice of known unrepented sin in various areas of my life, and though I was walking in dip deliberate disobedience to God in certain areas, and really my heart was really attached to various idols that I was really pursuing in my life and not Jesus Christ, yet at the same time, I was outwardly religious and I can't remember ever having any real serious concerns, you know, about my soul uh, during those college years and my thinking and, you know, well, I did what you're supposed to do. I said the prayer and so what else can I do? I'm a Christian. I don't have to worry about it. I'm on my way to heaven, you know. I, I did what they tell you to do, so... Uh, I was active in church, religious activities at school, therefore I must be a Christian. And so my involvement in all of these things, I think it produced a kind of blind self-confidence and self-deception that blinded me uh, to the reality of my true condition. So that's why I say that in a sense I was an unconscious hypocrite. I thought everything was okay, there's no real conflict, my life, uh, spiritually, you know, was, you know, I didn't even think about it that much. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go, you know, if something happens. So there was, but at the same time, there were times when I really would be quiet long enough to, to think and there would be a sense of uneasiness in my heart. And after I graduated from college, I took a short break for a semester, worked, and then I went to seminary. And I attended Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And it was just prior uh, to my second semester in seminary that God began to open my eyes uh, to my true condition. And a lot of this is going by memory, the things I can remember. Um, the first thing that I remember that God used to really kind of shake me up and shake me out of the kind of presumption that I had was some sermons I read by Martin Lloyd-Jones. You say, well, how did that happen? Well, I had a friend that I used to run around with. We used to coon hunt together. 
Yeah, I used to coon hunt. I'm a real hillbilly. And uh, <laughs> we used to deer hunt together and camp together and stuff. And uh, uh, but he got radically converted. I mean, he got really converted. Total change. And he, I don't know how he heard about Martin Lloyd-Jones, but he bought me uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones' Sermons on the Sermon on the Mount for a gift and gave it to me. And I had it for a long time, never really paid you know, too much attention to it. But uh, when I was in seminary, I'd come home one of the semesters for the summer, and I had actually got, you know, I'm the young guy going to seminary. I was asked to, to speak at a youth revival. And so I was trying to think about what, what am I going to talk about? You know, what am I going to preach about? And so I had this book. My mom and dad were gone that afternoon. It was in the evening, and they were away. I was at home by myself. So I picked up Lloyd-Jones' book, and uh, I started reading. And in God's providence, the section that I started reading contains three sermons by Lloyd-Jones on Matthew seven twenty-one to 23. And if you're not familiar with, with that text, it's where Jesus said, Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name cast out devils, and in your name done many wonderful works. And then I will declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Well, Lloyd-Jones has three searching sermons on that passage in his book. One is entitled False Peace. The other is entitled Unconscious Hypocrisy. And the third one, Marks or Signs of Self-Deception. Well, I'm at home, I'm by myself, I read those sermons. When I read those sermons, they really shook me. And I became... You know, I, I told someone, I was saying, it's like the Holy Spirit sat down in my lap. And I, I'm, I'm reading these things, and I finish it, and I, and I, I said, this is, this is describing me. This is a description of me. And I, I became very uneasy, uh, afraid. And um, at that point, though, I have to say that I, I tried to resist this and uh, to, tried to stifle the conviction and uh, that was, but it was, the, it was part of what was the beginning of what led to my conversion. Because insofar as I can recall, it was after reading those sermons, I started reading him some more. And uh, God more and more began to deal with my soul and to show me what my true self. And at first I didn't want to face the fact that my real problem was that I was a stranger to the gospel and to his faith in Christ, a religious hypocrite, instead I started trying to do better, to be a more serious Christian, to try harder, to live up to what a true Christian is supposed to be. I mean, I was not able any longer to find it so easy to live in sin and yet to maintain a hope, so I began to try harder, to live right, to read my Bible more consistently, to pray more. I guess you could say I began to seek God realizing that something was missing in my life. And for a time I got kind of tied into, maybe you've heard of deeper life theology teaching. I was reading like Watchman Nee and people like that and trying to figure out what's wrong with me, you know, how, you know, trying to find some help. But it seemed the more I, I saw, the more I tried, the more miserable 
In some ways, the more helpless and in bondage to my sins I felt. And God, in his mercy, began to show me what a hypocrite I had been all those years in the past to bring my sins before my conscience and before my mind like a flood Uh, not just outward sins, but inward sins of the heart to show me what a wretched sinner I really am. And uh, this actually went on for several months until the time just before and then uh, immediately following my graduation from seminary when God really brought me to the end of myself and the misery and the burden and concern about my soul that I felt it weighed uh, so heavy on me that no matter what I tried, I couldn't find any relief. And so all I I could do was just cry to God for help and just keep crying to God. And uh, I I mean, literally, I mean, I'm going, I was going through the day sometimes, you know, uh, a normal day and my mind is not really on what I'm doing, you know, and and under my, you know, in my, in my heart, I'm crying to God. And um, for some time I was really confused, I was uncertain what was happening to me, and I began to realize that all of those years I'd really just kind of taken it for granted that I was a Christian. And taken it for granted that I believed the gospel, but now I felt I didn't even understand what the gospel is, and that I couldn't believe. And I didn't know what it is to believe. And I, I would describe those months as, as a time when which I felt kind of like a man locked up in a vault. And it was dark, and I could not get out as hard as I tried. And I was confused about everything. You know, everything was up for grabs. I I didn't know. And I was just praying, crying to God, crying to the Lord Jesus for mercy virtually every day and throughout the day, reading my Bible, reading anything else I could get my hands on that might help me. And uh, through various providential circumstances, I got hold of some of the old Puritan writers. And uh, my senior year, in one of my classes, we were, we were given a book list, and uh, I forget what, what the class was about. But, and I, I actually took a book in the library entitled Regeneration by Stephen Charnock. And <laughs> I got it out of the seminary library, and I read it, and it was like a new world. And later I purchased a copy. This is, you know, Banner Truth books are, are, you know, being published by then and out there. And they had some in our bookstore. I I purchased a copy of Precious Remedies for Satan's Devices in the bookstore of the seminary. And I was eventually led to Jonathan Edwards. And and the way that happened was this this friend of mine who was kind of going through the same thing to some degree that I was. And we were really searching. And uh, he had gotten, because I had told him about Lloyd-Jones. And he had gotten Lloyd-Jones' book, uh, his lectures at the Puritan conferences that he gave. And he was with me, and he was reading a part of that, and he said, hey, listen to what Lloyd-Jones says. He, he compares uh, the Puritans to the Alps. No, wait. He compares the Reformers to the Alps, the Puritans to the Himalayas, and some guy named Jonathan Edwards uh, to Mount Everest. <clears throat> and so I decided i got to get <laughs> this Jonathan Edwards so I got Jonathan Edwards' works and I started reading them, just devouring them. And, uh, and, all, and I just started reading all this Puritan stuff I could get my hands on. Uh, um, and by these and other means, all I can say is that eventually the light and the comfort of the gospel of God's free grace to wretched sinners 
uh, began to uh, more and more break in upon my heart and my mind. And there are a number of things God used to help me more than I could take time to mention. Right after my graduation, my wife and I, Kelly, moved to South Carolina. Uh, I actually moved there to be a pastor, take a church there, I was called. I was still very miserable. I was still weighed down at the time, especially more than ever, not long before we got there. I meant long after we got there. And I, what I would do is I would go to Christian bookstores. You know, you've got Christian, little Christian bookstores all around, and I would go into bookstores, and I'd dig around in those things, trying to find a book that might help me. And, you know, I've said this before jokingly, I'd rather send my uh, children into a liquor store to buy a Coke than the average Christian bookstore to buy a book. Uh, but anyway, I didn't get a lot of help from most of this stuff, but one time I was in a bookstore, and there was a section back in the corner of the book. There was a section of the bookstore that had some books. And the, um, there was a book there called Grace Abounding. Anybody know who, who wrote, who, what that's about? Yeah, it's the testimony of John Bunyan. And so I got that book and I started reading it. And it helped me in that, because um, I, didn't, I didn't think there was anyone I could really talk to. If I tried to talk to somebody, they thought I was crazy, you know. Because pretty much the mindset was, well, you just need to say the prayer. You need to underline it in your Bible, you know, and that just wasn't working for me. And um, so when I read Bunyan, um, there was something about his experience that uh, encouraged me because I thought I'm not really crazy. You know, other people have, have gone through similar things, and uh, there, were, there was actually some help I got from reading that book. And then I was digging around in another store that was, uh, they had a used book section where people would, would put used books, and I was digging around back there, and I found an old paperback copy of a book published by Su uh, Summit Books, a paperback uh, and it, by a man named John Owen. <clears throat> and the title of the book was The Forgiveness of Sins. And it was an exposition of Psalm 130, and it's still to this day probably my, right up there, one of my favorite books. And... Uh, I brought it home, I began reading it, and it was a great encouragement to my soul. And there were a number of other things that God used. I really can't pinpoint the particular day. Rather, I can remember many times when the, the reality of the gospel, the grace of the gospel, the sufficiency of Christ and his work for our salvation, his willingness to receive sinners were made really sweet to my heart. Uh, one of the things Bunyan talks about in his um, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners is uh, maybe some of you have read, you may remember at one point after he had become a Christian, he, was con he did something that convinced him that he had committed the unpardonable sin. He was feeling pressure to renounce Christ and he was lying on his bed and just kind of under his breath he said, well, let him go if he will. And then he, boom, Tumbled into despair. I've, I've now committed the unpardonable sin. So for about five years, he was miserable. But then he describes how through the study of the scriptures, the Lord brought him out of that. In one place he talks about how one of the verses that God used to keep him from utter, complete despair was John 6.37, which you will hear me quote often <laughs> in sermons. Him that comes to me I will no wise cast out. And he said sometimes it was like the devil is on one side of that verse and he's on the other side of that verse and the devil had the upper hand for a while then he would have the upper hand and he would, it kept him from complete despair. Well, then I found out that he had actually did a, preached a series of sermons 
on John 6, 37. And I said, I've got to get those. And there, I, some of you may remember, there used to be a group out in Montana called Gospel Mission. They were hyper-Calvinists, but you could get uh, reform stuff from them. And someone had, somehow had found a, or someone had given me a, um, an order thing for stuff that they had. So they had Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ by John Bunyan. Sermons on John 6.37. So I bought those, and wow, how God blessed those to my soul. That's another one of my favorites. And especially, I still remember uh, when I was reading it, and he's describing blind Bartimaeus, and how Jesus is walking along, and Bartimaeus is blind, he can't see, and all he can do is cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And uh, the Bible says Jesus stood still, and Bunyan talks about how Jesus still stand still when blind beggars cry to him for mercy. And uh, I still remember reading that and uh, just the, um, the sense of uh, the um, glory of Christ. And uh, his heart towards sinners. And that was a great blessing to me. And so, you know, I'd have these little times like that. And I, for a time I was kind of bobbing and someone bobbing water, sometimes above the water. Uh, then sometimes I was back down the depths again. But gradually I began to know more and more delight in the gospel, a stable assurance of salvation that the Lord had saved me. And that whereas before I was blind, now I see. And that's how I was converted not long after I graduated from seminary. <clears throat> and uh, I got baptized a third time <laughs> in the church where I was the pastor. I went to the church. I told them, you know, I don't think I was really converted in the past. You know, I, you know, I can't be dogmatic about that, but I believe it's just been recently that I was truly converted and I would like to be baptized as a believer. You know, you guys have to decide what you want to do with me <laughs> with regard to that. Uh, you know, if you think I should step down as a pastor or whatever, which they didn't. So anyway, I got baptized there. And uh, I also uh, came out of that experience not only with a changed heart life, but my theology was radically different. Uh, my own experience, coupled with what I had begun reading during that period of God's dealings with me, led me to become a confirmed Calvinist. And though I, hadn't already, I really hadn't arrived at an understanding of many of the practical implications of what God was teaching me, and I'm not aware that I'd ever heard of a Reformed Baptist at that point, and I'd never read John Calvin. And, but then let me just mention one other thing that, that God gave me not long before this. While I was still in seminary, I met this beautiful young girl, who, sweet, um, sincere Christian named Kelly, Kelly Garrison. And uh, I met her at the wife uh, at the church I was attending in Fort Worth. And as you know, Kelly's a native of Fort Worth. She'll let you know if you don't know. And uh, <clears throat> she's a Texan. And uh, I met her there, and we were married on March the 17th, 1990, over 33 years ago. And you guys know the Lord's blessed us with six children. You know our children. Um. So that's basically how I was converted. And um, 
I became the pastor of uh, Townville Baptist Church in Townville, North Car uh, South Carolina. It sounds kind of like a generic name, like you'd see in a cartoon, you know, like Acme Baptist Church or something. But Townville is a little rural, rural community. While I was there, I was really growing in my understanding of the faith and the Reformed faith and began to find out about Reformed Baptists. I got my hands on Greg Nichols' uh, lectures on the doctrine of the church. It's a long story how that happened, and that really shaped my thinking about the church and how churches should be operated and so forth and what the church is and to have a, a higher view of the church, of the Lord Jesus. And uh, I won't go into all the details of everything we went through while we were there, but I eventually resigned there after three and a half years. And two weeks later, we started meeting at an elementary school in Clemson, South Carolina, with seven families. That was in February of 1994. Two months later, we moved to another location, and then we constituted as Covenant Reformed Baptist Church in February 1995. And then later, I was a few months later, I was ordained as the pastor. And we later purchased a brick church building in nearby Easley, South Carolina. That's where the church continues to meet today. And many of you already know that after I had been there, uh, how, long, how many years were we together? Eight? Or f Five. Seven. Yeah, so after I'd been there about eight years, uh, Bob became a co-elder with me, and we labored there together. That's where Reformed Baptist Seminary was actually started in our church there. And uh, I continued there for over 15 years until receiving a call from this church, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Coconut Creek. And after a time of grueling soul-searching and prayer and seeking counsel, I accepted the call to Emmanuel. And I began here in September of 2009, and I'm so thankful uh, that the Lord brought us here. It's been a great joy and blessing for us. All right, so there you go. Uh, do you have any questions? Yeah. I was just wondering when you were you know, very young and mm -hmm. saying the sinner's prayer and being baptized twice, what was your dad's reaction? Did he offer you any counsel? Yeah. My parents tried to convince me I was a Christian, you know, you know, but I do believe my parents are genuine believers, and my dad's, even my dad's thinking has changed over the years. Um, he's not, in his latter, you know, latter part of his ministry as a pastor, he wasn't decisionistic like that, and I think that's just the way he had been exposed to, you know, and I do believe he was, he's a, definitely a godly Christian man, and eventually he actually brought a measure of reformation in his church, and uh, church constitution, they established church discipline, and he, he understood the gospel, and he preached the gospel. And uh, so, but at that time in my life, you know, that was kind of the way, as young Christians, newly Christians themselves, that's the context in which they had been converted, and that's the way they tended to think, you know, so... Um, anyway, it's a good question. Yep. When you graduated from Gardner-Webb, what was your degree in? Religion. <laughs> I had a, a, a bachelor's in religion and with a minor in history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that white church that you started out as a boy that was founded in 1836, is it still there? Yeah. Yeah, and the, pa the pastor there is now a young man who's converted under my dad's ministry in his, the church he went on to pastor, which is about maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes from there. 
And so the guys, there's, yeah. But it's, that church actually went through kind of a split, actually, because the, the pastor that was my pastor, the, they decided they wanted to move out of being in the middle of nowhere and to get out on kind of the major highway, Highway 276, where they would be more visible. And there were a few people that didn't want to do that, wanted to stay. So the people that stayed, stayed, and then a group of them went out and built a new church building. And so now there are two churches, so it's hard for me to even be able to say which one was my... They both were, in a sense. But the original one, the guy that's pastoring it was a young man that was converted in my dad's church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I I do find, you know, when I share my testimony that there there are numbers of God's people that have had similar experiences. I'm always a little nervous about sharing my testimony because I don't ever want to give the impression that this is the way everyone's conversions should be because it's not. You know, there's there's huge variety in the way God brings people to Christ and some have a very, you know, you know, Lydia all the, Bible, all the Bible says is the Lord opened her heart and she received the things that were spoken. She believed the gospel. There's no terrors of the law that she went through or period of you know, struggle or anything like that. And then you have other examples that are different. And so you know, the focus shouldn't be upon the kind of the peripheral context and circumstances surrounding a person's conversion, but what actually constitutes a true conversion. And uh, that is when we're brought to the end of ourselves and all hope and trust in our own righteousness. We, we realize that we're sinners. We can never make ourselves right by our good works. And we truly believe the good news of the gospel and, and we, we believe it in application to ourselves. We lay hold of it by faith that Christ came and died as the substitute for sinners and that his righteousness is credited to all who put their trust in him and and we lay hold of that and we believe that. And we're justified. And, and when we're justified, it, that never happens without the Holy Spirit also coming to live within us and sanctification has begun. And, uh, and sometimes it can be hard for a Christian to actually pinpoint the moment when they first really believe the gospel. In fact, I've found as a pastor in hearing testimonies of people that have come into our church that probably, probably I'm guessing more often than not, People can tell you the general time when they came to Christ and believed, but pinpointing the exact day, moment, hour can be difficult. It's, it's, sometimes it's more like it can even be a confusing kind of a, a mess in our minds, and we, all we can say is, whereas once I was blind, now I see. And now I see. And, you know, we do find that it's, it's one thing to talk about justification by faith. It's another thing to believe it. And uh, it's another thing to really believe the gospel and to really trust God's promises and to really trust in Christ alone. And a person can actually know the doctrine but not actually be trusting in Christ. And 
Uh, one of the things that I found is when God was convicting me, one of the sins he convicted me of was unbelief. And the sin that I, I, I couldn't believe. I found I, I, I need help from God to even be able to believe the gospel. And I think as Christians, that's, that's the real battle for us through our whole Christian life. It's a, it's a fight of faith, isn't it? It's continuing to lay hold upon the truths of the gospel and continue to base our hope and our faith and our trust in Christ as we wage warfare with sin and as we live the life of sanctification. And, um, yeah, so our time is gone. I'm going to pray and dismiss us. Let's go. Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to, to share what you have done for me, and I pray that it would be an encouragement and a blessing to your people, not that any glory would be given to anybody but you, the great Savior who rescues wretched sinners from our wickedness, our hypocrisy and sin and brings us to yourself. We thank you for your love. We thank you for dying on the cross for us. We thank you, Lord, for your word and your spirit who, had, who uh, drew us, draws us to yourself. We pray you would do that work in our midst even today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church and on our current building project, you can visit us online at ebcfl.org. That's ebcfl.org.